Welcome to another episode of Bleh Finance. And in this one, we're going to be doing episode two of buying a house, right? Going through the whole process. So we're going to get into that in just a second. So as always, full disclaimer, we are not professional advisors. So please seek professional guidance before making any financial decisions. So let's head over to the episode. Here we are for episode two of buying a house. So just kind of a quick recap, if it's been some time since you listened to this podcast. So in episode one, we talked about getting your current financial position assessed by a broker, finding a broker, understanding the different scenario, the different buying scenarios and government schemes and deposit uh, percentages and all those kinds of things, you know, making adjustments to your financial position. So, you know, if you need a higher um, loan, you know, you're trying to aim for 600,000, 700, you know, are there any adjustments you need to make? Then getting into pre-approval, right, by the bank. So you know exactly what your maximum ceiling is that you can offer for a house, finding a conveyancer that can help you with all the legal stuff, and then finally looking for houses. So here we are now at episode two, and we're into the looking for houses part. Now, I will admit, when I look at a house, all I see is the equity. (laughs) And, you know, if Kirk was on this episode, he would be like, yep, that's Jed. So, I mean, all I really see is the numbers of the house. And that's why it's good to have to have my partner who I love so much and thank God for her because I'm terrible at buying houses. And this is why it's it's good to make it a, an experience and work as a team. So me and my partner, like I'm obviously the numbers guy. I'm like, I love doing the finances and the numbers and equity and all the kind of stuff. What she is really, really good at, and I don't think she'll ever listen to this podcast because I think she's sick of me talking about finance. <laughs> but what she is just amazing at is understanding the, the, log- the logistics of a house. Things like when you come in, how does the light reflect in the house? What is the setup of the rooms? How do you store stuff? You know, it's all those home things that I'm like completely terrible at. So, you know, understanding, like, especially if you're buying with a partner or a sibling or whatever, I think understanding your roles in the process is going to be really, really awesome. And if you can kind of have a good division of labor, it makes such a great experience. Like I had so much fun buying a house with my partner and, and just because we didn't step on each other's toes. She would be like, hey, what about this for finance? I'm like, yeah, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Da, da, da. So she can get advice from me on that. And then I'd be like, hey, what do you think of this layout of this house? And she can give me advice on that. So it was a really, really good division of labor. I've heard of a lot of other couples kind of like that, which kind of makes sense, you know, opposites attract kind of stuff. So, all right. So now you're looking at houses and you're like, all right, now let's gonna, we're going to start going inspections and all these kinds of things. So here's some things to consider when looking for a house. Typically, and I hear this all the time, you know it's your house, right? Like the moment you see it or you walk in and you get a feel, you're like, wow, I like this house. Like you can feel it right away. It's not really something you think about. I I, I would kind of equate it to when, you know, you see a really, really attractive girl. Yeah, you see your, you know, your partner or something like that. Like you see them and it's not something you think about, it's something you feel. Okay? So you get into the house, you're just like, damn, this house, like look at these ceilings and look at the color of this paint and look at the floor. Like you see all these things, you're just like, I love it. Right? And that's when you kind of get a good feeling for the house. If it were me, you know, looking purely from the financial magnifying glass it's it does it kind of destroys the experience a little bit so i try not to think about it that much but 
going to these houses, you kind of want to also take note of things in the house that you like. Now, you never get this process absolutely perfect. Like, it takes experience. But, you know, start kind of taking notes. And nothing wrong with bringing a pen and paper. Take photos. Take so many photos of conditions. And and the reason is, like, even if you can do this, um, do a video tour of the house. So, you just literally turn your phone camera on on video and as you walk around the house just describe what you see and i'll tell you why that's important if you decide to put an offer in this house you also want to make a list of certain things things like what needs to be fixed what needs to be cleaned up what needs to be adjusted is the hot water not working right is the sink falling apart are there screws missing in the drawers is the floorboards cracked you know, is there giant rocks in the backyard? Are there leaves everywhere? Is there rubbish on the side of the house that's like hidden? You know, is the concrete crack? Oh, whatever it is. So by having that video tour or lots and lots of photos, it helps you remember things to take note of. And when you get to the contract of sale and all that stuff with the conveyancer, it'll become very, very important. Okay. So you start making a list of all those things that you really, really like. When you get to the house, the real estate agents are going to be there. I would suggest go in there, especially with when you're with your partner, um, speak to each other ahead of time, go in, but you know, like with all negotiations, don't be like, I love it. This is my dream house. Cause they're going to ask for more money, right? So you're trying to get it for as low money as you can, if possible. Okay. So, all right. So you go in, you speak to the real estate agents. I treat real estate agents this is going to be so bad. They're not all like this. It's more just my approach to them. Okay. I love real estate agents. Don't get me wrong, but they're like a pet snake. You know, it's like, yes, it's your pet and you love it, but it's also a snake. So you just got to be a bit careful and they're going to sometimes pressure you into signing things and doing things and you don't have to sign anything. That's why it's good to have a conveyancer. You always check with them for whatever next steps you're going to do, all right? So let's say you found a house, you're in there with a real estate agent, they're selling it to you, they're saying, look at how wonderful these kitchens are, blah, 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 blah. You get into all that. Then you say, look, uh, I think I want to put an offer on the house, okay? So then they go, no worries, we'll give you the contract of sale. So the contract of sale is basically uh, where you're going to put your offer in of how much and all that. And that's why having a pre-approval is really good because you know exactly how much you can give and it's not a stressful situation. The other thing is, not that I know this actually happens, the real estate agent represents the seller. Sometimes it's a motivated seller. Now, let's say this, this seller is like, look, I, I'm so sick of dealing with this house. I just want to get rid of it. So you have two people, let's say, making an offer. One makes an offer of 550. The other makes an offer of 580. Okay, but the $550,000 person already has pre approval. Their finances are good to go. They already all know all their numbers. The $580,000 person goes, Oh, no, no, we haven't done any of the financing yet, or whatever. Now, if this person is a motivated seller, they're like, Look, give it to the person who's already got their paperwork sorted because I just want to move this along. Right? It can work to your advantage. Okay, very important. Um, part. Now, when they give you the contract of sale, they're going to say, okay, they're going to fill it in and then they're going to sign it and they're going to be like, here you go. Do not sign it. Do not sign it. And I'll tell you why. Uh, and I think maybe I mentioned it before. You're not a lawyer. And even if, well, 
unless you're a real estate lawyer or you're a conveyancer yourself, you know, but I would always make sure, give that contract to your conveyancer before you sign it. They will look at it and make sure nothing is missing or nothing's been changed or there's no mistakes or there's clauses as to cleaning and making sure the utilities are in working order, blah, 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 blah. That video tour that you did in the previous step and making a list of all the all the things that need to be sorted before you move in, that goes in the contract of sale. You can stipulate on um, settlement all rubbish, or you can even say on prior to the first prior to pre-inspection, all rubbish must be removed. You can put that in the contract. And the reason you do this is moving in is a, it can be a very stressful experience. You're moving stuff. You're packing up your old house. If your old house was a rental, well, then you have to get that ready for your next tenant. You have to do condition reports, all that stuff. So as many things that you don't have to deal with, do it. Yeah. Make sure, just make one less thing you have to deal with. Just make sure so that I'm losing my tongue. So put that in the contract of sale so that it all gets sorted for you. Okay. So once your conveyancer says, yeah, it's all go, keep your broker in the loop. So you just say, listen, just sent the contract to the um, conveyancer. They're checking it now. And the reason is you want to give as much heads up to your broker in case they need to prepare any documentation for the banks, or they need to reassess your financial position, whatever. You guys are a team, conveyancer, you, the broker. So keep keep everyone in the loop of what's happening. Okay. So then your conveyancer gives the go. Your bank says, "Oh, good." Um, you know, you make an offer. You give like a, a holding deposit of like a thousand bucks or something, just to say, "Okay, I'm holding the offer," right? And then they go for um, the loan from memory. I'm doing some of this from memory. So then you you apply for the loan. The seller says, "Congratulations, you got the house." The bank stuff's happening. Then while all that stuff's happening. Um, you can do the building and pest inspection. So that's just to make sure there's no termites or there's no serious damage or whatever. Okay. And you can make your decision based on the building and pest inspection. I think, and again, this is going to be part of the contract of sale that if there's any serious damage that is found on the property, you can back out, but it needs to be obviously be, be in your um, contract. Now, one thing I didn't like about building and pest is that, and it's not their fault either but it just sucks is that they can't assess everything. They just can't. They can't suddenly get under every single floorboard and check for a single termite. They just can't. So you kind of have to be reasonable as well in terms of what they can and can't do. Um, And there's always going to be a little bit of risk of, you know, if there's something that they missed, because if it's like, let's say it's a house and it's got lots of rubbish on the side, they can't just go through it because there's a, you know, health and safety. So as much as, that can be checked. Hopefully, they check it. And then the good thing about it is they also send you a building and pest inspection like document with photos and all that kind of stuff. And it actually shows you all the conditions and all the things that they found. It was very, very detailed. Our one was really, really good. All right. So you do that. The bank says, congratulations, you've got the loan. Then you can give your first half of the deposit. Now, I don't know if this is always the case, but it's probably a good thing. So let's say your deposit is 50 grand. You can send over your first 25,000. Um, I would recommend if you can avoid it, do not do it via digital bank transfer, like on your phone or computer or anything like that. The reason is because yes, you'll have maybe a receipt online, but it's always, it feels a bit risky because you're like, well, 
hopefully wherever I'm sending this to is not dodgy, right? So what I would recommend instead is if you can, go to the bank and do it. Um, because at least then it's going through a bank. The bank can do, I don't know, they can do something, I guess. I don't know. But I would have loved, liked to actually do it through the bank. All right. So you give your half deposit and then your conveyancer starts doing a very, very detailed process of all the things they need to do. And maybe I'll go into it in a bit more detail later on, but it was a lot of things. But they did most of the heavy lifting. So it's not really something I had to kind of worry about. I'm trying to find actually my um, the sequence of events. Where is it? Here we go, timeline. Uh, I mean, they do like stamp duty on transfer of land, full exemption, land titles, registration fee, land titles, electronic registration, electronic registration of the discharge. There's a lot of like little fees. Now, in terms of how much I put aside for all those fees and costs was roughly 5K. And that was based on some calculations I did. But I reckon 5K is good. That's something you can ask your broker of like, look, in addition to the deposit I have to put down, how many additional fees, how much do I have to put aside for additional fees and costs? So some things to consider. Let's say your house is 50 grand. So you have to come up with a $50,000 deposit. You're going to have additional fees, which is about $5,000. It's probably a lot less than that. It's probably closer to three. But remember, talking about margin of safety, you always want to have more just in case. So I put aside 5000 for that, but then you also got to put some money aside for moving costs from your other place, you know, maybe a thousand bucks or whatever. You got to put money aside to fixing any damage in your previous house. You got to put money aside for council rates. So these are the things you can kind of, and maybe in another episode, we'll talk about exact figures of roughly how much to put aside. But the way the high level I would break it is you got your deposit, you've got all your additional costs, so that's council rates, fees, transfer fees, all that kind of stuff that conveyancer sorts out, which is 5000 and then moving costs of, let's say, 2000 That's probably how I would break up um, the costs of what we call in like IT, you know, total cost of acquisition, right? That's all the things you need to have. Okay, so then let's say you're, you're paying all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, the loan's approved, and now you're really just waiting for the settlement date. So let's say the settle, let's say you give all that stuff in January, the settlement date is in March. So you just have to make sure that the remainder of the deposit you have in your account ready and available. Because sometimes the bank will automatically take it out of the account. So just make sure it's in there. So that happens on settlement. So let's say your settlement is March 1st. On March 1st, you transfer the rest or a day before or whatever. From there, they give you the keys and the house is all yours. And that's and that's pretty much it. Then you get into the whole moving process, getting rid of rubbish and prepping your previous house, right? And all those extra things. But basically, once you hit settlement, like I suppose the big milestones would be number one, getting pre-approval, um, getting the, uh, accepting your offer, transferring the deposits, um, doing your pre-inspections before settlement, you know, a week, two weeks before, making sure they actually they did all the things that you stipulated in your contract, um, and then move-in date, and then that's pretty much like the hard stuff. That's that's the hard part of the whole thing because let's say you've done the settlement and it's March first, right? Everything else will take as long as it takes. 
right? So you moved everything to your new house and yeah, look, maybe you need to change the stove. Okay, whatever, it's not going to kill you. You know, maybe you got to clean up some stuff in the house or you're going to mow the lawns or you got to fix some stuff. Who cares? You have 30 years to solve all that stuff, you know, but the hard part is over and you can just try and enjoy it. So that is pretty much kind of end to end how the process happen so it's roughly i think 17 steps or something like that now it's not every single tiny little thing along the way but this is most of the things you're going to be in for most of them so go through it with your broker go through it with your conveyancer that you know what you're in for ahead of time so what i tend to do is i say all right thank you for assessing my finances what are the next five steps at every time I consult with them, I go, okay, now what's the next five steps? And they're, well, they're going to do this, and then they're going to do this, and then they're going to do this. I'm like, great. What happens after that? So you just want to make sure. It's like it's just understanding what's happening next, what's happening next. So you're always kind of prepared ahead of that. And should something happen, you're you're okay. You're ready. Like you know it's a, there's no not really any anything unexpected because you're constantly checking and confirming. And this is one of those things that the more you do it, the better you get at it. That's, that's really, it's just like with all things in life. The second house gets easier to buy, third, and, and so on and so forth. All right, let's end this episode here. Um, if you guys have any questions, you can, you can get in touch with us. I actually don't even know how you can get in touch with us. I think it's, we'll work that out. We'll work that out because we want a way for like people to ask questions on like sub on topics that we can do or questions or very specific circumstances you have. And we can do episodes on those topics. All right. But until next time, hope you guys enjoyed and I will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for watching another episode of Bruh Finance. If you want to support the work we're doing, you love the things you're hearing from us, consider supporting us through Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bruh, B-R-A-H underscore finance. By signing up, you're going to get access to all sorts of things like spreadsheets and articles and video and training and all sorts of content. So again, thank you for watching and have a great day.